Welcome to the Invest with Clarity podcast, where you will learn how success in investing, as in life, is the result of absolute clarity. Mark Pearson of Nepsis in Minneapolis, Minnesota, shares his passion for portfolio management and commitment to transparency and communication to allow investors to fully understand what they own and why, bringing them to clarity in their investments. And now, here are your co-hosts, Matt Halloran and Mark Pearson. Hello and welcome to another podcast episode with Mark Pearson with Nepsis. Now, we have brought on what Mark refers to as the Grand Puba. He is the Senior Vice President of Global Research, which is Chuck Etzweiler. Now, he's been on the podcast before. Uh, he's got that amazing Barry Whitish voice that I'm sure all of you will recognize immediately when Chuck starts talking. But today, we're really going to look underneath the hood. Now, I'm going to try to uh, convince these two to allow me to pry the hood open maybe a little bit more than they've allowed in the past. Because as you know, the Nepsis strategy, the Nepsis philosophy is is really invest with clarity, right? And know what you own and why you own it. So I wanted to know, and this is being very selfish as the podcast host, how in the heck do people like Mark and Chuck figure out what to own and why they own it. So today we're going to talk about research. Guys, welcome to the show. Matt, always good to be with you, Big Daddy. All right. The same thing here, Matt. Great uh, to be with all you. All right. Friend. Well, okay. So where do we even begin here, guys? How? Let's just talk about process. Yes. So I'll I'll handle that for you. One of the things we tell people here here's the I'm I'm going to pry the hood open a little bit more for you right off the bat, and then maybe close it a little bit. Nepsis is ultimate clarity, and that's the idea of know what you own and why you own it. But here's the reality. Most people don't care what they own and why they own it until they care what they own and why they own it. And that's generally during periods of uncertainty because the human side of the, the behavioral side of investing, Matt, basically says, look, my portfolio is going up. Everything's rosy. Everything's good. I don't care about it. I'm not going to worry about it. But when you get to this level of uncertainty, people start to begin the process. Okay, why is my portfolio going down? And they want to know more about what they own and why they own it. So really, Nepsis, the, the, the whole impetus of Nepsis and know why you own it, know what you own and why you own it, it was really based in a behavioral aspect of investing. Now, when people tell us or ask us what do we own and why we own it, the reality is that I tell people bluntly, it doesn't matter. I mean, really, I know that sounds really bizarre to you, but here's the thinking. What we're more interested in helping investors understand is that successful investing is really not about what you own and why you own it, but on a global basis, it's more, it's more about the process. Investing is a process over time, and knowing what you own and why you own it is a critical, important part of the process, but it is only a part of the process. Okay. Chuck, what do you want to add to that, man? Yeah, certainly I would echo everything that Mark says. And it's kind of a two-fold process, excuse me, as Mark laid out. There's two ways to view selections within a portfolio. Mark mentioned the top down and the bottom up. Uh, certainly, we subscribe to both of those. And what Mark has charged me with and kind of the research folks is where would history suggest that we are in what we call a secular market cycle. So secular meaning long-term. 
And there are definite patterns going, and we have data now, believe it or not, going all the way back to 1870, that if you go back in time, you can see there are periods where the markets, the collective ownership of businesses, move in an upward trajectory. It lasts about a generation or so, so 13 to 18 years. And then there's periods where the market, collectively speaking, is very choppy. And the first order is to determine whether the equity and or the bond markets are either in that upward trajectory or that flat choppy space and time. And that allows us then to asset allocate, as Mark always says, appropriately from the top. So we're setting within the framework of a model where we believe history would suggest that we are at this current time on both of those bond and stock market from a historical standpoint. Now, Mark, you had said when we were preparing for the call that, that you have five people in total on this investment team, and, and so Chuck is the, the senior here, uh, but you have other people, and you have meetings frequently. Let's talk about the meeting fre- frequency, and then let's talk about what your investment management team brings to you, how they bring it to you, and, and really, how are they figuring out what ideas to bring to you? Because, Mark, you're the ultimate decision maker on what goes in to your investment, uh, your investments, right. correct? Right. Okay. So you asked, you asked several really good questions. So let's hope I get all of this. Number one, we meet twice a week. The team meets once a week by the four other people. And then I meet with them once a week also. So we, there's two meetings per week. And there are various things that are discussed. We start at the top down. What do the fundamentals of the economy look like? What do valuations of overall investments look like? And, and, and by the way, just for the record, you know, everyone's talking about how we're in a stock market bubble right now and everything's overvalued. We've been telling our investors and advisors for years that there's no way we're remotely near a bubble and that we're still in the early stages of a long-term bull market. And, hmm. and by the way, we called the bottom in writing in June of 2009 where I said I thought this could be the greatest secular bull market in our history. Hmm. And so far, that's panning out. This has a lot to do with both the scientific and the behavioral. But to, but to get back to your questions, I want, I want my committee to look at the macros. I want them to look at economies. I want them to look at interest rate environment. We look at public policy. We look at what's going on within the governments. Uh, we look at technical indicators. We look at not only just the fundamentals of the economy and what's happening, but also fundamentals of sectors of businesses, i.e. growth stocks versus value stocks. U.S. stocks versus global or international stocks, emerging market stocks. So there's a host of different criteria that I've chartered all of them to look at. From there, what I have told them as the chief investment officer and the guy who looks at the businesses we want to own, I take very much of a Warren Buffett type of approach where I want to see big economic moats. I want to see, uh, I want to see category killers. I can tell you based on our 13 filings, uh, 13D filings, uh, some of the companies that we own uh, as of the end of June, companies like Microsoft, I'm sorry, not Microsoft, MasterCard and Visa, these are two companies we started buying on the day they went public and have owned them for years ever since. Obviously, we've done well. Uh, companies like Under Armour, uh, companies like General Mills, Kraft Heinz, we own Kraft when Buffett bought it, when Heinz and Buffett bought it. So... Why do why and, and by the way, one of our largest holdings got bought out earlier this year from from AIG. Why does this happen? It's because we are our, our 
our position is we only want to own uh, on the on the small side, Matt, twenty companies in a portfolio, mm-hmm. and on a large side, forty companies, and that affords us the ability to be super choosy about the businesses we own. Now, at the same time, we we're not modern portfolio theorists, guys, where we think you should own mutual funds or ETFs in small, mid, and large cap, and in growth and value, right? in terms of funds, because now you're getting over diversified and all you're doing is owning the market, right? But we would rather own specific businesses in specific areas, i.e. growth, i.e. value, international, emerging markets, and so on. And specialty situations own those when our indicators, our research tells us we should own those kinds of things. So this is why we sold gold at around 1900 we sold oil at about 145. These are darn near the tops of those of those market, those secular, those cyclical markets they were in. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, been overweight growth stocks for quite a few years, and uh, that has that has served us extremely well. I, mean, I can go really deep with you here, but that's well, I think I answered your question. I think I, well, you answered the the first question, but but I'm on a you you brought in. Two other things that I'm not familiar with, and, and so and I apologize for that. I don't know what a 13D filing is. Can you explain? Sure. When you get to a certain size, you have to file with the SEC oh, okay. uh, holdings at the end of that quarter. Okay. So it, it's a if CNBC will cover it a lot. They'll show they'll talk about hedge funds and big mm-hmm. managers. You mm-hmm. know what positions they bought, what positions they sold, and you know at the end of the day, it is historical information. Right. So it may not be accurate today, but we're required when you get to a certain size to file those okay. on a quarterly basis. So Chuck, your team specifically, when they're meeting with you and they're, you guys are brainstorming ideas, I understand that the top-down, bottom-up approach, because I think that was explained well, but I mean, are they just taking you know darts and chucking it at a board with a bunch of symbols and saying, hey, I'm going to do research? I don't even know. I don't. I guess I don't even understand where do they begin? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I just, I laugh a little bit at your description because sometimes people actually believe that's what's going on behind the scenes, and I assure you it's not. So the team is actually uh, spending most of their time looking not only at individual businesses, but certainly the landscape. And I'll, I'll mention this, there's two ways to measure the, the valuation of a company. You look at their previous earnings or you look at their future earnings, and we've always been bent on future earnings. We're in placing investors' money with the hope that that company, if it is profitable, will grow those earnings at a certain rate. So it begs the question, how do we get that data? Uh, We have uh, built a research team. We've also subscribed to numerous database services uh, where we get our information, and we're looking 12 months out to see what the earnings of a respective business is. And then we actually assign what we'll pay for every dollar of those earnings. And that's simply reflecting what we call actually measures how much we're willing to pay for that business. So the P.E. ratio, in essence, would be a metric for us to look at relative businesses. Now, here's an important thing, and Mark mentioned this. He used the word sector which is a fancy word for industry. There are 11 industries, broadly speaking. Think of this. In every given year over the last 20 years, the top performing sector 
has outperformed the bottom performing sector on average by 40% a year. So within our research, if we're able to own those sectors, again, those industries which we find appealing Mm -hmm. and which have future growth but have valuations that are somewhat discounted, we can certainly create what we call alpha or manager value. And that's part of what we bring uh, to the selection process for Mark and the team when he's looking at individual companies. Sorry, man, real quick. One of the things I want to tack on to that real quick. One of the things that the team knows is that because we only want to own 20 to 40 companies in the portfolio, we are very picky about the sectors we own. So we can be very choosy not only about the companies, but also the sectors. Mm -hmm. So when you think about secular trends, you know, gold and silver metals are not on a secular trend right now, right? Energy is not on a secular trend. So these, this is an area right now where we're not invested in. We, mm-hmm. we don't have an interest in investing in. We don't want to own grocery stores. We're, we're really, really not even wanting to own anything retail related. We want to own companies that have patents, that have technology, mm-hmm. that have game-changing uh, abilities, companies where there's no competition and their margins can be, you know, and their return on equity, return on assets can be very high over time. Because historically, that's where it has shown where companies continue to expand in their multiple, in their price earnings ratio, because that's a relative number, right? Mm-hmm. So when we think about the, uh, when we think about investing in businesses, we've really got it narrowed down to specific sectors. Okay. And so that helps our process. Education. Right. Uh, so when you're looking to hire somebody else on this investment team or, or the people that you have on the investment team, what sort of experience are you looking for? What sort of education? Is there a designation? Uh, you know, there's a there's all bunch of alphabet soup. So, uh, Chuck, when you're when you're having your individual meeting with them, does the education and I'm, I'm speaking directly of education, not experience education, does that help them? figure this stuff out and really be able to make the analysis in the way that you guys want it? I I will add to a certain extent it does. Certainly there needs to be a background in finance or economics. But uh, what Mark has done for our team is there's a unique perspective that at Nepsis that we have, which is not oriented in groupthink. And when I mean Mm. groupthink, uh, all you have to do is, is turn on a given business channel and everyone seems to be singing off of the same song sheet. So we want independent thought we want people who are investing from the purest standpoint. I am my investors are business owners. And if they're business owners, what are they looking to do with those dollars in the future and how are they looking to grow them and how does that meet their financial goals? Mm. Pushing aside all of the noise that's there. So yes, there is that educational background that certainly is needed, the foundational component. But there's other things we're looking from individuals, and that's why we're very selective who we choose to be on the team. How long, Mark, does it take you to, or Chuck, does it take you to, to train the team? So let me, I'll, I'll let Chuck answer that first, because we, we've got a recent addition that works oh. with Chuck, a, a, younger, a younger gentleman. But it, it, in my... It, my team right now has been around together for years. Okay. Uh, Chuck, Chuck and Arindam have been with me since, uh, probably 13 years. Yep. In fact, Arindam was on the team when he was still getting his MBA and was in school. He was, our, he was the young protege, so to speak, on hmm. the team. Mm-hmm. Connie has been on the team for, 
I think, five years. It's exactly right. Five years. Yeah, five years. And so when you look at, uh, and then Kevin, three. So the team, the core of the team, which is, uh, you know, Chuck, Arindam, and Connie, they've been with me a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So we really haven't had to, quote, unquote, train. And Chuck alluded to this idea about we have, you know, we think outside the box a lot. This is really driven by my philosophy about investing as a whole, this whole idea of investing with clarity and the idea that, you know, to be a successful investor, it's really not as difficult as people make it or want to make it. But I think that sometimes you can get analysis paralysis, you can get too much information, which is what I think happens out there. And, and it actually hinders the investor. You know, think about Warren Buffett. His approach to investing is quite simple. And, and that's the core to our foundation, Matt, which is we believe that the key to successful investing is investing in great businesses mm -hmm. and then continually investing those businesses over time by allowing volatility to create opportunities to buy more of those businesses on sale. And that's really a, a foundational approach to the process. So this new person, Chuck, how long is it going to be until this new person is participating to the level that you find great value? Yeah, thank you for that. So uh, this gentleman joined us about a year ago. He's on the research team. He's not on our investment committee yet. He hasn't earned his stripes yet. Mm -hmm. And I would say probably about a three-year process okay. of certainly learning how we do things. And it's interesting. I've seen him kind of morph into more of this independent thought, meaning when you hear somebody speak something uh, outside of our company, go back, do the research, look and see if what they're saying is actually true etc. And, and Mark said it so well. I want to just, this is a Warren Buffett quote. He said, there seems to be a perverse human characteristic that likes to make easy things difficult. That's directly <laughs> from the lips of Warren Buffett. And if you go back to the 1950s and 60s, really before the advent of modern portfolio theory, it was about what Nepsis does. You're a business owner. You own a portion of a company. You mm -hmm. own the rights to two things, future profits and certainly dividends if that company pays them to you. And mm -hmm. we've lost that. And trying to get people coming out of school or who work for major corporations and changing that thought process is what we try to do at Nepsis. So we take that slow road to bringing people to us and making sure they understand our strategy and our consistent commitment to how we build portfolios. And I love that about this podcast. Every time you know Mark and I are on and Chuck, when we bring you on, the, I think the level of clarity increases. And we've been doing this for a while. I mean, Mark, I, I don't even know what episode we're on now. It seems like you and I have known each other for a long time. But it, it's I love that. And Chuck, I love when we bring you on because, oh, you. well, one, your voice is just, it's just like freaking caramel, right? <laughs> and two, I, hey, dude, I'm serious. Uh, come on, man. Uh, and then two. <laughs> and and I, like, I like being able to hear, you know, the boots on the ground because, you know, Mark gets high level and then he gets into the weeds and he gets high level. But, you know, you're kind of this consistent, you know, where you are in the company of this very consistent kind of uh, trend about your thoughts. And I love being able to bring you on and, and diving in. Now, you said something else, and I'm going to have Chuck answer this first before Mark jumps in, because Mark said something called category killers. I yes. don't know, Mark, if I've ever heard you put those two words together before, but I think it's fascinating and I love it. And I'm sure you say it a lot to, you know, within the investment team. And maybe that's why that came out today. But Chuck, let's talk about what a category killer is, please. 
Certainly, and it, that's from the lexicon of, of Mark, and I love when he uses that term. He doesn't drop it off, but a category killer, and Mark used this term, wide economic moat. Think about back in the medieval days, right? You had a, a castle, a fortress, and you had a moat, right, that was around it that protected the bad guys, let's call them, mm-hmm. from uh, getting into your backyard or your your mode of, of living. That's what businesses have. Those companies that the barriers to entry into that specific business they're in are very, very difficult to penetrate. And when you have a category killer, you have a business that's humming from all aspects and is able to deliver ongoing profit increases, and they have their back to the behind them looking to see where that competition is and legally trying to push them away so they remain king of the hill. Mark, anything to add to that? That's pretty much dead on. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Brand, that was a great... Brand, you know, the only thing I would add is, you know, obviously brand within the sector that you're in, within the business you're in, the brand, which is part of the moat, right? Mm-hmm. It's the power of the brand, mm-hmm. right? Uh, right? You think about a Chipotle, for an example, that mm-hmm. has a powerful brand but has had some problems, right? And those are possible things that could hurt the brand. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, think of companies like Nike, Walt Disney, mm-hmm. you know, uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, Facebook, Google. You know, these are brands. They have a technology. They have a process. They have a product. They have a service. They have something they've developed that makes it extremely difficult for someone to knock them off the hill. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of companies that you want to be invested in. Gotcha. All right. Closing thoughts on this overall idea of research. What what haven't I asked you that I should have? I, I don't know. Good question. Yes, a lot of good questions today. I mean, you always he ask always me. does. Well, I mean, you know, my my job. That's kind of my job. And so I appreciate you guys, you know, appreciating that. Uh, you know, well, asking I, questions. But what, what do you got, Joe? I'll say one thing is uh, we Mark mentioned he used the word behavior. I'll just stick in or if I could because we love this. We're contrarians and what we mean by that is not contrarians from owning companies but looking at the the sentiment landscape of the investing public. It, it's quite simple when you look and we talked about this uh, in the in the green room if you will before we got on air was the fact that if you actually have investors who are selling their equities, their businesses out of fear, uh, the smart money is always there, Mark says, to scoop it up and mm-hmm. we follow that on a weekly basis. This is published by two prominent companies. Very little people follow it. And to us, it's very, very important. Uh, and, and Buffett said it great. When people are fearful, I'm greedy. When people are greedy, I'm fearful. So mm-hmm. uh, that's one thing I don't think we really got into. But the behavioral, behavioral component is huge to us in our analysis. Without question. I'm sorry. I, I wanna, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I haven't done that yet. And, and that's something that I love to do with Mark. But you made that sound, Chuck, very black and white. When people are greedy, I'm fearful. And when, you know, it's not that black and white. How do you guys navigate that middle road? Well, what do you mean it's not that black and white? Is it that black and white? I mean, um, that's what I'm challenging, Mark. It It is black and white. Really? It is. Yes, it is. Okay, explain. Explain. the, The premise of investing in a business, you have a current value and a future value. You believe the company's future value is X. If the stock is trading at $50 today and you think the future value is 100 but the behavior of investors out of fear, uncertainty, and doubt have moved the stock to 45 or 40 or 35 or 30 doesn't that stand to reason that if you loved it at 50 you get, if you liked it at 50 you got to love it at 30 mm. or 40 mm. if you still think the company is worth 100 So mm. it is very black and white. 
the problem is that people get mired in the gray. Yeah. But it's not gray. If you understand the process uh-huh. of the who, what, where, when, why, and how of the investments you choose for the portfolio, then it's a process. And the process is black and white. It is a process mm-hmm. that you follow for making the decisions to invest in great businesses over time. I am going to get you one of these days, dude. <laughs> I have you yet. Will. I have I yet to, to play devil. When you do, it's only going to make me you know, become better at what I do. Yeah, well. So I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I have tried. Chuck, I, I mean, I know you're not on yeah, all the time. Man, dude, I'm trying all the time to trip him up, and I've yet to do it. Darn it. Anyway, I'm, dude, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going back to the drawing board. I'm going to do some more research. It may never happen, it. Matt. I, well, you know what? And if it doesn't, that just supports investing with clarity even more, doesn't it? I mean, I, I don't. It's funny. I seem to talk more about this podcast with friends and family because it's so easy to talk about. I, I was just I was spending some time with some friends of mine who are doing very, very well for themselves. And I they were talking about something, of course, that was wrong. And so I said, do you guys know what companies you own and why you own them? And you should have seen, I've, you know, both of you have seen this a million times. It was the first yeah, time I ever sure. saw this. The look on their face was freaking priceless because they couldn't answer the question and i said hey you really need to listen to this podcast you need to listen to this i don't, I don't care if you end up doing business with them. that's not the point the point is there's so much here in these podcasts in these 30 minutes that will just open your eyes to the right way to do things and i'm allowed to say that because you know i've been doing this for a long time i love how you guys communicate it I love the transparency that you have. I love how you, uh, like today, what a great podcast. You guys lifted the hood on a high, high performance, you know, luxury sports vehicle, right? So, you (laughs) know, we just got to look at a Lamborghini's engine, right? And, and, And see the inner workings and not just see the inner workings, but understand why that's so fast and so good. So thank you both so much for your time today. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Let me, let me just tell you this, Matt, because I think this will solidify what you just said. And this is a, a very basic premise that I believe in. You know, uh, I, always, I, I, I used to say to people often that we believe that investing in great businesses over time is the way to invest because that's how it's ever been since the inception of time. Hmm. Great run businesses have been profitable. It's how people made money. And if you go talk to successful business owners, you know, usually private companies, you say to them, uh, you know, you'll, you'll hear them say often, look, I don't invest in the stock market because I think the stock market is nothing more than a gamble. Mm. When I invest in my own business, I at least know what I own and why I own it. And so why wouldn't I just continue to invest in what I know I own and why I own it as opposed to putting my money into a, into a, uh, into a, a gamble? Mm-hmm. I think that sums it up. Yeah. Well, thank you both very much for your thought leadership today. Chuck, thanks for being a guest. You are welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thanks, and, Matt. And Mark, thank you very much for your thought leadership. And everybody at Nepsis Capital, this is, oh, I'm sorry, Nepsis. Uh, this is Matt Halloran, and I will see you on the other side of the mic very soon. But before I leave, I just want to say one more thing. 
If you have not subscribed to this podcast yet, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. And if you know somebody who wants to check out a high performance investment management company's engine, please make sure you share this podcast with them. And that way you can help other people invest with clarity. The content discussed is for informational purposes only. It is not a solicitation or recommendation for any securities that may be mentioned herein. Advisory services offered through Nepsis Inc., an SEC registered investment advisor. 